Hey, Andrew here. If you uh, haven't listened to Monad 1, What is a Monad?, then you might be a little bit confused about the naming of the episodes on the podcast. So what I've done is I have some shorter and less highly produced episodes that I'm calling monads, and that's what you're about to hear. But the episodes that I was the most obsessive about and put the most effort and time into, I'm calling those episodes full episodes as part of a full season So go to the seasonal episodes if you want to hear Reductio at its best. But if you want to hear me kind of playing around with the medium and and playing around with ideas uh, that I find interesting in in a little bit shorter and more informal format, uh, then listen to the monads. I hope you enjoy. Reductio Adventures and Ideas. I'm your host, Andrew Lavin. Reductio is a show about philosophy, about ideas, and about understanding ourselves and our world more clearly. Brought to you by Inverted Spectrum Media. I don't have children yet, so this is just a hypothetical at this point, but let's just say I want my children to fit into the culture of their schools, to be model children when they're around other parents, and basically just to be good citizens of their communities. One thing I might do to ensure this is to get them to see cursing as a bad thing, so I'll admonish them when they say a swear word, I'll tell them when we hear someone else saying a swear word that they shouldn't repeat that language, and so on. Now if I'm honest, I don't really care what words my kids use, at the root of it I want the people People around me, and especially those I'm responsible for morally educating, to have a good, kind, compassionate thoughts. I don't care so much about the language they use to express those thoughts. Most of my motivation for policing my children's speech would be about desiring for them to fit into the social world in an easy and frictionless way. Now, I want my kids to refrain from using curse words, but I use curse words all the time. Am I being hypocritical? Am I being inconsistent? I'm beginning to be increasingly skeptical of the idea that to be rational is to be consistent, or even that it's a virtue to be consistent. I'm wondering whether consistency is a good thing or a thing to strive for, and I'm leaning towards thinking it's not a good thing. To be honest, I'm mostly playing with ideas here. This is nothing like a polished philosophical argument. It is, though, an example of what philosophical reasoning looks like much of the time. It's the start of a philosophical conversation. Maybe you can identify where I've gone wrong in my reasoning, if in fact I have gone wrong. What is consistency? The idea is that each of your actions is motivated by a general rule. Let's call it a principle. Okay, so a principle is a general rule. When I take out the trash, it's supposed to be motivated by the general prescription, take out the trash when it's full. When I bring my wife flowers, it's supposed to be motivated by a general desire or rule to do thoughtful and unexpected things for your loved ones. When I pay my taxes, I have a general rule in mind that people should pay their taxes. When I decide that my university should allow a controversial speaker to speak at one of our auditoriums, it's supposed to be motivated by a general principle, like free speech or something. I think this is really bad psychology. Honestly, I don't think it describes how we make decisions and perform actions. But we can set that aside for now and pretend for the sake of the argument like it describes our psychology at least well enough. 
So the idea is that we always, or at least usually, act according to these rules. And if that's true, then it would be good for us to act according to a consistent set of rules. So if I have a set of rules... Try to make the world a more beautiful place whenever possible. Act with integrity. Look both ways before crossing Show the street. Show people you love Don't them. Steal. Don't cheat at gaming. Remain faithful to your spouse. Try to meditate and exercise every Donate day. Donate some of your income to charity. Do the work you're paid to do. Don't do as little harm as possible. And it turns out the two of those rules don't really get along well. Never lie. Lie if it will hurt someone's feelings to do otherwise. No, never lie. But we have to if it will hurt someone's feelings to tell the truth. Lying is just always wrong. And sometimes lying is the right thing to don't do. Don't you dare. You're blockheaded. You're Lucy Goosey. You're being blockheaded. You're being Lucy Goosey. I don't think you can't. Don't talk to me that way. Mine isn't big enough no, that's not okay. Then the set of rules that I'm using to decide what to do are not good rules. My rules should be compatible with one another. When we talk about consistency, though, we often mean that if I decide that we should allow this controversial speaker to speak, then I should allow this other controversial speaker to speak. After all, if I'm motivated by the general rule that people should be allowed to speak at a university if they are invited, sponsored, and funded by an on-campus program or in partnership with an on-campus student group, then that general rule should determine that every controversial speaker, regardless of political affiliation or views, should be allowed to speak on campus. So take a made-up example. Let's call her Fakir. Fakir is in charge of events and facilities at a prominent university. In other words, she has final veto power when it comes to events that students want to facilitate on campus. A student group, the Friends of Philosophical Phonemes, invites a speaker. The speaker argues that the American way of life is fundamentally rooted in white male supremacy. Lots of people don't like what she has to say, and so they protest her being allowed to speak on campus. Fakir, though, allows her to speak, thinking something like, if your student group has invited this person and she's not attacking any particular individuals, then there's no good reason to cancel the event. A different student group, the Friends of Founding Fathers and Freedom, decides they want someone else to speak. The speaker has a history of denying the Holocaust, of using offensive slurs about transgender folks, and repeatedly denying the reality of systemic racism. She has a large enough gathering, though, that the event will require a large venue. Activist student groups have threatened to shut the event down through disruptive protest. What should Fakir do? We might think she should apply the same basic rule as before. If the speaker is invited by a student group and isn't attacking any particular individuals with their speech, then the university must allow the event to happen. This all makes some basic sense. It feels hypocritical if you justify doing one thing on the basis of one particular rule, and then you turn around and refuse to do something else when that first rule would dictate that you should do that thing. No one wants to be a hypocrite, right? So I want to make a bit of trouble for this idea. The result will be either that we conclude that inconsistency is really hard to identify, and so charging someone with inconsistency is often a mistake. That's the modest conclusion here. Or, a bolder conclusion, inconsistency is simply not a bad thing. You can be inconsistent if you want to, just don't leave your friends behind. I'll go in depth on each of them, but here are my three objections to the idea that consistency is a virtue, or perhaps to the idea that consistency is an overriding norm, something we must uphold in our actions. Objection one. Consistency, when applied in a, in a ham-fisted way, will require that we ignore information that's actually really important to making the right judgment or decision. Objection two. Consistency requires that we allow general rules to make decisions for us, rather than using our own judgment. Objection three. 
Consistency, when used as a social norm or a standard by which we judge others, often leads to misunderstandings. And when it comes to the social fabric of a society, misunderstanding is probably the worst thing there is. So first, consistency, if we're not careful, requires that we ignore important and relevant information about particular cases. Countless lives have been destroyed by laws that dictate, often in a racially biased manner, that judges must be consistent in their drug sentencing. They're mandated to give minimum sentences for certain crimes. People spend decades in prison who aren't guilty of violent crimes because society decided, or more specifically some legislators decided, that there are no exceptions to the rules. This is decidedly bad public policy. I think a lot of it came out of a deep mistrust of human judgment. They hamstrung judges, forcing them to be consistent, when we can now all see that a little expert judgment would have gone a long way towards not destroying communities of color and poor communities by imprisoning huge proportions of their members. If we're obsessed with consistency, we can, though we won't necessarily, be led to think about the world in this exceptionless and legalistic way. The world, though, is full of exceptional circumstances, abnormal cases, and put simply, really good reasons for being inconsistent. Consistency isn't clearly a virtue in a world where nothing is consistent. The world is really messy. My alternative would be to train folks well to identify their own biases and think critically about particular cases. And then we put in place checks and balances, recourses, appeals processes, and so on. And then allow humans to make judgments on when the rules are leading us astray, rather than making general rules or principles do all the hard work for us. This leads naturally into the second point, objection two. Rules are made to be broken. We shouldn't let rules dictate the decisions we make. We shouldn't engage in, in quote-unquote rule worship or treating rules like they're the end-all be-all. A 19th century philosopher, John Stuart Mill, thought that rules were like signposts. They're helpful for figuring out how to get to the destination, but they aren't the destination in itself, nor are they always perfect guides. They're a mere means to an end. I think the general principles that govern our actions are means to the end of making good decisions. But we shouldn't mistake our tools for making good decisions as the standard of making good decisions in itself. We shouldn't let rules dictate what we do. We should let rules be something that guides us towards doing the right thing and trust our judgments when we feel like the rules simply don't apply in this case. Some people are law worshippers. They let the law determine what they see as good and bad. What's illegal is bad, and whatever is legal is A-OK. -okay. But a moment's thought reveals that this isn't true. Lots of legal things are morally neutral. Think about jaywalking in a quiet neighborhood with absolutely no cars around. That's illegal, but very few people would think that that's immoral. Lots of legal things are morally terrible. Think about paying workers less than a livable wage while you personally reap annual profits in the millions. What a morally hideous thing to do, but it's perfectly legal. Some people let the rules and norms associated with their positions dictate what they should do. As a CEO, for instance, it's one's job to maximize profits. The legal and professional norms governing the position demand that one maximize profits at virtually all expenses. But if you're like me, you think there are some things one can do as a CEO to maximize profits, and some things a CEO can't do. Actually, if you're like me, you don't believe in profits, but that's a conversation for another day. 
there are, that is, moral constraints on what someone should do as a CEO. One shouldn't let the rules and norms of being a CEO determine what decisions one should make. One has to remember that one is a human being and a moral actor as well. So here's an interesting real-world case. In 2017, a terrible fire swept through parts of the Santa Rosa Valley, destroying a number of homes and businesses, particularly in the more rural parts of the valley. The rebuilding process has been slow and painstaking, but it's progressing steadily. The city council was faced with an interesting choice. Should they approve a housing development in an area that would likely be threatened by future wildfires? There is a housing crisis in Napa County, so by those lights they should approve more developments. There's also, however, a wildfire crisis in California. One city council member, Julie Combs, held out. She didn't want to approve this housing development. It's really interesting to pay attention to her reasoning for why she couldn't approve it. Not only did she think this particular housing development was risky, but she worried more about the precedent it would set for the future. I cobbled together some clips of her speaking from an NPR story by Lauren Summer and a reveal story on the 2017 wildfires. You'll hear Patrick Michaels from Reveal jump in at one point. There are links to each of these in the show notes. We are setting a precedent to build more new housing in a fire hazard area when we vote today. I cannot support this item. I just think we need to not put more sleeping people in a fire hazard area. This is only the first new housing development. It's not the last. We're going to see more development, more housing proposed for the fire hazard area. And we just blinked. So the next group is going to say, well, you let them go. So why aren't you letting us go? We just witnessed how it happens. You just witnessed the process of we've given up the ability to prevent any kind of increased density of housing in a fire hazard area. We just gave it up and we've given it up until the next fire. She was thinking, probably correctly, given the nature of the U.S. legal system, something like, if we approve this one, we'll have to approve the next one, and then the next one, and the next one. I don't think Julie Combs is wrong here about the way our legal system works. My issue is with the legal system itself. There will be a precedent now that future developers can point to to say, you have to be consistent with that past decision. The logic of our legal system now dictates that as long as other developers follow the same rules, then they should be allowed to develop, even in fire-threatened areas. The city council was paying attention to the issue in this particular condo, but now they're trapped in a situation where they have to approve future condo developments because the law requires that they be consistent in the developments that they approve. I think this is silly. A city council shouldn't be bound to act quote-unquote fairly if acting fairly means acting consistently with previous decisions. There are always new factors at play that need to be considered, like, for instance, how many similar developments have been approved in the past. I want our city councils to use good judgment, not to feel beholden to their past decisions out of a misplaced sense of fairness or a desire for consistency. Let me take a quick break before getting to my third objection. I wanted to thank a few folks who have contributed to the founding of Inverted Spectrum Media, the nonprofit corporation that houses Reductio. Thank you from the bottom of my heart to Will Reckner, Wai Hung Wong, Andrew Bartlett and Clarissa Bautista, Michael and Mary Fitzpatrick, Morgan Hughes, Jordan and Stephanie Wallace Wolf, Marcel Daguerre, 
Alexandria Sheba Sawyer, Betsy and Christian Fernie, Owen Roth, Rose Spiro, Jessica Rowan, Jenny and Marty Griffin, Jenny Walters, Barbara Swear and Peter Sugia, Cindy and Gary Nelson, and of course, my lovely mother, Kui Gray Lavin. Without you, I wouldn't have been able to found the nonprofit and get some basic equipment set up. I so appreciate your early support in this project. If you would like to support us, please visit our website at invertedspectrummedia.com, where you'll find a link to our PayPal. I'll also be setting up a Patreon page for continued sponsorship in the near future. All right, back to the show. The final problem I have with consistency is less of an in-principle objection to the ideas of consistency as it is an objection to certain people constantly on the lookout for hypocrisy and inconsistency wherever they look, particularly when they're looking across the political aisle. So it often happens that I think that you're acting according to this rule, and so you're being inconsistent, when in fact you're acting according to this other rule, and you're being consistent. Here are some examples. Can't we, it isn't, can't we know, just say get, incivility is bad across the board? Yes, but I, you can't be a person. Why is it that we're only opposed when okay. you're a Democrat? You're only opposed to incivility when it's Donald Trump. Because, but, it, but, but suddenly Maxine Waters is anti-Maxine. Because Conservatives are against handouts except mortgage tax exemptions. Handouts to the wealthy and middle class. It's important uh, to believe in, you know, to have respect for everyone's religion. So you respect Christianity? I do. Judaism? Yes. Islam? No. Progressives want to include everyone, but they won't include conservative speakers on campus, so they're being inconsistent. I want to demonstrate for you how many of the characters on the right who say they care about the issue of free speech, they really don't. Because again, the hallmark example that would prove you do care about that issue is when you go out of your way to make those arguments, specifically when you despise the person you're defending. That's how I know you're serious. Liberals say we can't discriminate, and then when we try not to discriminate, they say we need to start discriminating against white men. It's more than a little ironic that Peterson has no problem telling a woman that her perspective is shaped by her womanhood, but when Michael Eric Dyson dared to suggest that maybe Peterson's perspective is influenced by the fact that he's been a white guy all his life, he started indignantly clutching his pearls. Conservatives are pro-life, except when it comes to people who have already been born. Liberals say that the 1% used the power of the state to get stuff for free. Meanwhile, most liberals want to vote for Bernie Sanders or Hillary Clinton in order to get something for free. College debt, tuition forgiveness, a free college tuition, free other stuff. You see, because the 1% used political power to get stuff for themselves for free at the expense of everyone else. Look in the mirror, liberals, you are the 1%. You're doing exactly the same thing. Those clips are from Ben Shapiro talking with Bill Maher. Jordan Klepper on The Daily Show, Kyle Kalinske, a YouTube producer with the moniker The Messianic Manic, and finally Stefan Molyneux with the uh, gritted teeth screeching at the end there. In each of these cases, it's at least possible that people are being consistent, just not consistent according to the rule you have in mind. The charge of inconsistency often comes out of a lack of understanding of other people and their motivations for holding certain beliefs. So let me take the first case that goes back to our example of Fakir earlier on. Progressives want to include everyone, but they won't include conservative speakers on campus, so they're being inconsistent. I actually don't think progressives are being at all inconsistent here. Progressives are united by a recognition of the harmful aspects of social power imbalances and by a desire to equalize the social world so that no one has center stage and no one is marginalized. In short, progressives want to level all the playing fields, professional, social, socioeconomic, economic, and so on. 
if you look at their actions and beliefs through that lens rather than through the lens imposed by this critic, you'll see that they're in fact being consistent. They want to include those who are marginalized, but that will often mean pushing some non-marginalized folks off of their podium, or at minimum not handing them a bullhorn so they can keep marginalizing people. Again, whether or not you agree with the progressive agenda, you'd at least have to admit that they're being consistent according to one set of rules, even if they appear to be being hypocritical or inconsistent across a different set of rules. Obsession with consistency is, I think, part of the mistake here, seeing an apparent mismatch between the justification for one set of actions and the justification for another set of actions as a rational or moral failing. Instead of being a failing, though, it's often instead just being sensitive to details that one misses if one cares too much about consistency. In fact, it's difficult at best to figure out exactly what rule someone is acting according to. Perhaps it's because we simply don't act according to rules. Again, this is probably just bad psychology, and, and so part of the reason the philosophy ends up looking strange is because it has little relation to our actual psychology. If we do act according to rules, though, a social world where we're obsessed with finding inconsistencies in each other's actions is not a social world I want to live in. More often than not, this leads to misunderstandings. As I said before, misunderstanding is one of the worst blights of the social world and is something worth actively avoiding. Perhaps it is the thing we ought to be avoiding the most vehemently. Consistency, I think, is tied to fairness. If we demand fairness, we're demanding to be treated in the same or an analogous way to someone else. We're demanding that arbitrary factors don't determine how we're treated or what we get. But as we tell children all the time, well, life ain't fair, kid. Get used to it. What are we saying when we say this, though? We might be saying something like, I'm sorry I'm not being fair, but I'm trying to expose you to unfairness so that you get used to it. So that's in some sense what we're literally saying. I'm not being fair, and I know that sucks, but that's something you need to understand, so you might as well start learning now. We also might be saying, I refuse to be held to this standard. Fairness isn't the only standard for good decisions and actions. There are lots of ways to decide what's right, and fairness is just one of those ways. In this case, I think something other than fairness is the right standard. I think we're doing the latter, the second one, more often than not. We're saying, look, kid, fairness doesn't determine how most people act. And in this instance, I'm using a different standard than fairness to determine what to do. I think we should rebel against consistency. We don't always have to be consistent. And so we don't always have to be fair if being fair means being consistent. We must always, though, be just. And I think the history of the world has shown that to be just, one must often be inconsistent. I also think we must always be kind as well. And it's certainly true that kindness requires inconsistency much of the time. Join me in being irrational, inconsistent, and unfair. Just be sure you're refusing to follow these values because there are other worthy values you are following. Values like justice and kindness. In other words, don't refuse to be consistent so that you can be selfish and lazy. Refuse to be fair so that you can be just, kind, and caring. Now, I have to recognize that consistency has been a way of avoiding discrimination and marginalization. If we treat each other consistently, then we ensure, or at least attempt to ensure, that we aren't treating people worse because they are disabled, a person of color, queer, or so on. It's a very good thing that landlords and employers can't discriminate on the basis of these arbitrary factors. We want them to be consistent in hiring and housing policies. 
I'll need a fairly fleshed out view about the proper role of consistency in the human activity of deciding what to do. And that fleshed out view must deal with this objection. In other words, I need a response to this objection. Here's my initial response. In discriminating on the basis of race or ability or gender or sexuality or the like, what we're doing is paying attention to a factor that's irrelevant. It's irrelevant to what sentence one should receive for a crime or whether someone should be hired or promoted or how I should treat you in general. So instead of preaching the gospel of consistency, we could instead try to train folks to pay attention to the relevant factors while ignoring the irrelevant factors. It's hard work, to be sure, and there's all sorts of bias and bigotry, but I think avoiding irrelevant factors philosophically does all the work of consistency without the cost. When we're pushing other people to be consistent, I think what we're often saying instead is stop using irrelevant factors in your decision making. We're not actually interested in consistency. I think oftentimes we're not saying something like follow the rules to a T. If, for instance, I hire a white guy for a position when he was less qualified than a competing applicant who is a Filipino woman, I'm being inconsistent in a sense because let's say I generally try to hire people who are the most qualified for the position. But in this case, I didn't. I'm not following the rule I aimed to follow. I'm also, though, paying attention, perhaps in a subconscious way, to irrelevant factors like race and gender, when I should instead be paying attention to qualifications and perhaps personality when deciding whom to hire. So going back to the thought experiment from the beginning about raising my children not to use curse words when I myself use them all the time, am I being inconsistent? Well, one answer that I like is, no, if you pay attention to the relevant factors like age, responsibility, and one stage in moral training, then I'm not being inconsistent. I'm just not following a general rule like no one should use curse words. Instead, I'm following a general rule like kids should be trained to fit into society in a frictionless way whenever doing so doesn't interfere with other important values like liberation, responsibility, and bravery. So another answer, though, that I also find attractive is the following. Who cares if you're being consistent? What really matters is whether you're being a good parent and then whether you're being a good member of society when you use curse words yourself. Consistency might be a helpful heuristic or a general rule to guide your actions sometimes. But in this case, consistency shouldn't rule your actions. Being a good, just, kind, and responsible person should. Now I'm in a sense just trying this argument on for size. There are no doubt countless good responses to the issues I've raised. In philosophy, we often make arguments in the knowledge that we're merely starting or continuing a conversation. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. My email is in the show notes for this monad, or you can find us on Facebook. Perhaps later we'll expand into other social media realms, but not for now while I'm running the show more or less solo. A huge thanks to you, my listeners. Please do subscribe to the podcast using a podcast app or iTunes. My personal favorite is a paid app called Pocket Casts. If you're aching for a show that incorporates philosophical ideas that's just as, if not more, engaging and fun as Reductio, I've included a link to the homepage of a fantastic show called High Nation. That's phi or P-H-I as in the Greek letter at the beginning of the Greek word philosophy. So High Phi Nation. Some amazingly good episodes there. I recommend as gateway episodes The Wishes of the Dead and Cover Me Softly. Just fantastic stuff. Bye for now and thank you for listening. Thank you.